April 11th, 2022. The meeting is being called to order at 4.30 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall, room 400, and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. As authorized by California Government Code Section 54953E, and Mayor Breed's 45th supplement to her February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation, it is possible that some members of the Small Business Commission may attend this meeting remotely. In that event, those members will participate and vote by video. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov TV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGov TV 2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. Before we begin, I'd like to remind all individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times, including masking. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending remotely. Members of the public who are calling in, the number is 415-655-0001, access code 2482-056-7076. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you will be added to the queue. When you're called for public comment, please mute the device that you're listening to the meeting on. When it's your turn to speak, you'll be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker and alarm will sound once time is finished. Speakers are requested, but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. The Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. The Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, particularly at this time, you can find us online or via telephone. And as always, our services are free of charge. Before item number one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGovTB for coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call item number one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Huey is absent. President Laguana. Present. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Here. Vice President Zuzunas. Present. Present. Uh, President, you have a quorum. Wonderful. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business Staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush Ohlone community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item number two. Item two, Board of Supervisors, file 220-240. 
community policing plans, foot and bike patrol. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and may take action on an ordinance amending the administrative code to require the police department to create a community policing plan at each district at each, each district police station that, among other strategies, incorporates a foot and bike patrol deployment and includes a community process for eliciting input. The ordinance would also require public posting of the CPPs with a yearly update. Presenting today, we have Alan Wong, legislative aide to Supervisor Marr. Great, is he presenting he's, re remotely? Uh, he's presenting remotely. Oh, there uh, he is. There we go. Hello, um, great to uh, connect with everybody. I'm uh, Alan Wong. I'm a, a legislative aide with Supervisor Gordon Marr, um, and I work on public safety issues in, in the office. Welcome, Alan. Good to see you again. And uh, please take it away. Uh, yes, I'm here to present about um, Supervisor Marr's uh, legislation. Um, so this uh, ordinance uh, is to uh, we're, we're doing this to develop um, stronger relationships between the police department and the communities that it serves. And to just give you a little bit of uh, background on the origins of this um, origins of this legislation, it, it began when uh, uh, Supervisor Mars started hearing more from our community groups and, and merchants about the need to have um, have stronger re input and relationships with the, the police department. There were so many businesses that were hit by uh, uh, burglaries uh, and quality of life uh, uh, crimes, uh, and, and, and also just uh, preventable uh, issues that can be done through proactive uh, police work um, that, um, that they reached out to us for, for support. So we started convening some uh, Zoom meetings uh, with some of our, uh, uh, some of our local merchants and uh, uh, stakeholders. And after hearing, hearing the feedback um, from folks, we decided that it was important to strengthen the communication between, the, um, between each of the district stations and the communities that it served. Um, what our legislation would do is it would require that each police uh, department district station um, work with uh, stakeholders in the district to develop a, a community policing plan. So they would be uh, required to work with uh, small businesses, merchants, schools, neighborhood associations, and community-based organizations, and develop a plan uh, for serving the uh, serving the, the community. The community policing plans need to include a plan on how they will develop community partnerships, um, exercise proactive problem solving on quality of life issues. Um, to prevent crimes, address language access needs, and also figure out a formula to implement foot and bicycle patrols in, in the community. And so we believe that increased uh, public uh, input and feedback will allow the, the police department to better serve our communities and build stronger, uh, uh, stronger relationships and um, get us to have more proactive action on quality of life issues in our neighborhoods. Great. Uh, is that it or? Uh... Uh, yeah, I think that summarizes it. Okay. Uh, commissioners, do we have any uh, questions or comments for Alan? Vice President Zazunas. Thank you, Alan. Uh, appreciate you uh, representing the supervisor today. I ha had a question and if you don't mind giving 
-hmm. our commission a little context of where the um, where where this is situated in in the current uh, board okay. discussion around um, mm -hmm. SFPD and and all the the plan for um, mm -hmm. if there if this is tied to a, a hiring that's been agreed upon for SFPD or if this is still conditional on uh, decisions that haven't been made yet with regards to the overall safety plan. Okay, um, so for, for this um, ordinance, what it would do is it would require that the SFPD work with the, uh, the different community groups to develop a, a plan and develop a um, uh, potential uh, a foot patrol plan and develop a formula uh, for that. In terms of uh, hiring, this, this is not linked with any sort of uh, hiring requirements. Um, we, we do have a um, upcoming agenda item at the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services um, Committee um, where we'll be a, having a, a staffing report from SFPD on their um, uh, manning needs. Um, so that will be uh, available. And in terms of the um, process, um, this uh, ordinance is currently a, within the control of the public services and uh, uh, public safety and neighborhood services uh, committee. And um, it will likely be heard on April 28th by the, the committee. Thank you. Commissioner Ortiz. Yeah, uh, you gotta hit mute. Alan, thank you for the presentation. Um, I actually had some feedback from community, primarily District 9 and 11, and was going to take this time to to get some comments that I got back from community. Um, mm -hmm. one, one of the biggest theme is, um, especially in the mission, our police okay. captains constantly are rotating. They don't last necessarily a year, so our concern is that maybe there is a plan implemented, but then a new captain comes and, you know, with the new administration, new agendas, you know, new focuses. Mm -hmm. So whatever this legislation or, or whatever the plan is, it, it should be something that regardless of the captain that's at the station should live longer past the captain. Mm -hmm. And also like advocate for captains staying longer at mm -hmm. particular stations so they can develop relationships with their merchants. A lot of the merchants in the mission corridor mm -hmm. um, establish these great relationships with the captain, but then the captain is transferred and then you know, restarting that process, it, it, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard to build relationships if it's constantly changing. Another in community, obviously, is they're, they're sensitive, you know, people of color, minority communities, mm -hmm. historically, unfortunately, haven't had the best relationship with police officers, mm -hmm. and, and some in community are concerned, you know, this is more of a police presence as opposed to mm -hmm. taking a, a community approach. So mm -hmm. in these conversations, mm -hmm definitely making it culturally relevant that whomever is our liaison at these stations understands the community, the neighborhood, and, you know, what exactly they're serving. You know, it, it's not to police, but it's to be part of community and not to police us. So with that also, you know, we just want to be a part of the process and, and you know, best intentions sometimes it doesn't happen in the process, yeah. you know, we're, we're usually the afterthought in the process. So we just want to ensure that we are the process or the part mm -hmm. of the process. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner, for uh, bringing 
that up. And you know, I, I think uh, in District Four we share similar frustrations about the the changes in uh, yeah uh, the changes in uh, police captain. And you know, I think uh, it's ideal to build kind of long-term relationships with our uh, uh, police captains. Um, so yeah, definitely share that. And you know, at, at the same time, I also understand that if if sometimes they they rotate due, due to you know, career progression or uh, a growth uh, within their own department. I, I can understand that. And at the same time, you know, coming from uh, our perspective as the District uh, 4 office, um, for us, it's important that we build strong relationships and that we have uh, officers that are constantly um, getting to know the folks in their community. So I totally uh, understand that. I, I do think that um, this uh, community policing plan legislation will help uh, contribute uh, to um, some more stability because instead of uh, um, a, a plan uh, or a uh, implementation relying on a, a individual, it, there will be a built-in plan that is not just dependent on one person, uh, but is a long-term plan that is built by the community and is uh, documented and um, uh, institutionalized uh, so that um, even if the police captain changes, then there will be a memory of what, uh, what the plan is and what the what the community uh, has uh, uh, sought uh, from uh, um, from each of the district stations and what they've uh, agreed to do based on uh, public input. Um, the, the second thing about the uh, just yeah the the concern about um, uh, kind of the lack of trust that um, uh, similar communities uh, have um, our uh, police department. Uh, so the. The good thing about this legislation is that it allows each of the communities to uh, develop their own plan uh, based on what, what their needs are. So it doesn't kind of um, prescribe necessarily what each of the district stations do, uh, but uh, it requires that uh, each of the district stations work with the community to develop a, a plan that works on these uh, quality of life issues, language uh, access needs, and proactive uh, problem solving. And so each of the district stations may have different plans uh, based on their own community's uh, needs and the, the different issues that they face, including a uh, lack of trust uh, uh, and just uh, a history of, uh, uh, yeah, history of uh, uh, potential or kind of uh, lack of trust uh, uh, and between the community and, and the, the, the police department. Thank you, Ellen. Ellen, one last thing. I, I definitely um, recommend, I highly suggest that you reach out to the cultural districts and the CBOs, such okay. as Meta, Calle 24, EAG in the Excelsior, Casa de Apoyo. Um, that would just, it's a, it's a good effort so you could get their feedback and their concerns in community. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Commissioner Dickerson. Thank you, Alan, for your presentation. Um, I, I, I just want to amen uh, Commissioner William Ortiz Cartagena in regards to the relationship and how it's important that it is uh, sustainable. Um, I am, my business is on the third, uh, is on the corner of Third and Newcomb in the Bayview. And we have had multiple shootings. We have had a lot of um, violent crimes, and we've had a lot of everything from burglary to victimization of people literally just walking down the street. And we know in history, um, police presence has always um, lowered crime. And 
where my business is located, fortunately for me, many of the, um, the officers um, will come into my studio. Um, we meet, we have a great connection immediately, but then I won't see them again. Um, then next thing you know, we have a major crime happen on the block. And then uh, all of a sudden, there's a heavy police presence that is there for maybe a week, and then it goes away until another crime takes place. And so for me, I have um, vested, uh, I, I, I'm highly sensitive when it comes to the, this particular agenda item because it is time for some continuity, some consent. We want this, we support it 100%. Baby was very well connected regardless of what people may think or say. Um, um, not only do I serve on another board, which EDOT, that, um, and also just well connected with the other merchants on, on Third Street and the surrounding uh, neighborhood, we communicate and we talk and we do what we can to support one another, but there are a lot of um, systemic issues that we're dealing with, especially with the African-American community that right now we need more support than ever. And I believe that police presence is important at the same time, um, what my fellow commissioner said, it's not about policing us, it's really about the support and the presence of making sure our community stays safe and um, as, a, as a community um, activist, also being in close communication to what can happen, what will happen, and what we can promise our community um, and what to expect. I think that is my priority here is can we expect this to happen? Can it sustain? And is it dependable? So um, we're ready to do whatever it takes to have our, our community safe, especially in the Bayview District 10. Thank you. Alan, did you want to respond? Um, yeah, just I want to thank the commissioner for uh, for her comments. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, you listed a lot of um, uh, great reasons on why it's important to to move forward with this uh, legislation. And I'm very happy to hear that you're, you're behind this. Great. Um, uh, Alan, uh, well, I, actually, I guess uh, Director Tang. A question for um, Supervisor Mars' office is just, um, I know this ordinance specifically re requires the um, creation of the community policing plan. Um, wanted to know what the office's plans are in terms of follow-up to make sure that what's contained in the plans are actually uh, carried out and implemented. In, in terms of the, the implementation, uh, it will be, the plan will be a updated uh, uh, annually, and so I think it will be an iterative uh, process uh, for the community to uh, circle back and uh, check in with uh, uh, each of the district stations to see if the plan is uh, being implemented. And, and you know, I think with uh, all plans that we make, uh, uh, a lot of times it never survives a, a contact with uh, uh, the, the real situations, and that's when you have to you do have to find uh, uh, the opportunity to to adjust. 
um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, serving, you know, being a veteran, just, we know that whenever you make a plan, uh, it never, uh, as the perfect plan never survives uh, contact. And um, with that said, um, with the iterative process that we have, we're, you know, the working to uh, update the plan each and every year. That's a, a ongoing cycle uh, where the community can uh, be checking in uh, with the district station uh, captains and, and their staff on how they can improve on, on the process. Great, thank you. Uh, Ellen, uh, walk me through a, a little bit. You know, I, I, I see the community policing strategies may include foot and bike patrols, um, and certainly that's been brought up uh, a couple different times during this meeting. What else might be included in a community policing plan? Is, is it primarily just about the, the uh, physical police presence in the community? Um, not just uh, not just the and bicycle patrols, but uh, one other thing that's really important to uh, at least to our district four office is the language uh, access needs. Figuring out how um, so you know a lot of times uh, when we've talked to uh, our small businesses, uh, they've mentioned that they've had uh, just language barriers in, in terms of sharing sharing their problems or. Uh, just talking to uh, a police uh, supervisor, Mar actually had um, uh, times when uh, there's been a uh, number of uh, uh, vandalism incidents on uh, uh, Norega or in other places. And when he would show up to uh, the scene, um, he would actually uh, ask his um, uh, wife uh, to who help uh, translate um, because there there weren't people available on scene uh, to to help translate when uh, when he when he arrived. So. Well, for, for uh, Supervisor Mar, it's really important to ensure that we're able to uh, meet the language needs of our, our community and this uh, plan in, uh, or this community policing plan that we want each of the district stations to implement, we want them to in, include uh, and incorporate a language, um, uh, language access component on how they'll uh, improve this with the community. The other thing that we want them to work on is uh, um, quality of life issues. So. Um, oftentimes we have our um, uh, small businesses and, and residents uh, telling us about kind of ongoing um, quality of life incidents, whether it be a certain street corner uh, or um, uh, where they constantly have, um, uh, have issues with the same things over and over again. And they've, uh, they've come to us asking about support. Um, how, how can the police department be more uh, proactive? Um, how can they prevent some of these things from, uh, from happening? So well, um, having the district stations think out proactively about how they'll the work to prevent some of these issues um, will also develop that um, level of cooperation and a proactive, um, uh, proactive um, and preventative um, uh, police work uh, so that we can uh, avoid having these issues uh, escalate. Um, so those are some of the additional things. And the, the other, other part is building relationships with the, the community. A lot of times um, the, the trust is also about how people feel about the, the police and whether they've, they've had relationships uh, with them. And uh, when, when they have a relationship with uh, the, their uh, district station or their uh, local police officers, it, it develops um, a further uh, collaboration and trust so that we, we as a community can, can feel safer. Thank you. Um, what, uh, so 
I, I think if I understood you, and just to make sure I understand, so a community policing plan will uh, include the foot and bike patrols, uh, which will be crafted based uh, presumably on community input. Uh, these uh, quality of life issues uh, mm. with respect to uh, localized uh, business issues mm. and um, the language access component mm. which I'm a little unclear how that that's part of the community plan I mean shouldn't shouldn't the police always have some sort of language access uh, for the people in their community like what why is that a, a I guess I'm a little confused about why that's part of the plan. Do you mean language access to access the plan or are, are I don't know, I guess help me understand that part of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, so in terms of the language uh, access needs at each of the uh, district stations for for us in the, the sunset, we've had uh, community members and small businesses uh, share with us how, well, for, for them, they feel that there is a language barrier in, in terms of uh, uh, just talking to uh, their, their police officers or feeling confident to um, uh, call their uh, uh, call their district station or, or call 911 to report incidents of um, uh, of crime or, or other issues. Um, so having a language access component in there will uh, help ensure that our immigrant communities are able to uh, and, and feel confident to communicate with, with our police. So developing a, a language access component in the community policing plan uh, will, will get the, the police to think about how they can uh, support these sort of needs from the community. Okay, so I see. The, the goal is to foster this conversation between law mm -hmm. enforcement and the community about any language issues and then hopefully uh, whoever is working in law enforcement will be um, better informed uh, because it sounds like there's uh, been a fair amount of turnover. Um, I, and along those lines, I wanna echo and amp amplify what my fellow co-commissioners said. Um, I, I, I agreed with everything they said. Uh, and, and I think that the recurring theme here is, is the importance of continuity. Uh, and so I think this, plan is going to help create some continuity in cases where you have a lot of staff turnover. And so I think it's uh, likely to be uh, very helpful to the community. And, and uh, the, at least in my view, this is, this is good legislation. Um, I'll also share with you that two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago or four weeks ago, we had uh, Professor Sharkey, no relation, um, <laughs> uh, who is a um, world-famous sociologist on violent crime, and he talked about uh, the importance of having uh, community plans like this. So I think that that is, uh, this is consistent with uh, some of the strategies that he talked about that are, are evidence-based. Um, and if you have a moment, you may want to go back and, and look at that presentation because it was, it was uh, very eye-opening. Uh, so uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, one last question for you. In terms of law enforcement, uh, what kinds of conversations have you had with SFPD uh, uh, about this proposal? And what's, what has their reaction been? Uh, yeah, so we've been uh, checking in with the uh, police department and just, uh, yeah, uh, we've 
been meeting with uh, uh, some of the commi uh, police commissioners as well as the uh, police department uh, liaisons and uh, uh, Deputy uh, Chief uh, Lazar. So, um, uh, so far, um, what they've signaled to us is that they're um, supportive and uh, uh, wanting to work with us on making this uh, successful legislation. Great. All right. Well, uh, sure. Vice President Sazunas. Thank you again, Alan. Um, as a follow-up to some of the accountability and next step questions posed, since this is direction to the department, which then has to take it upon themselves to, to oversee uh, creating a plan, how, um, how are we gonna make sure that trust isn't lost and that in terms of the community orgs that you want involved um, if the police are going to be the ones deciding who is on that kind of advisory um, of who who helps make those plans uh, I just think you know we we don't want to create another re reactionary uh, kind of attempt at, at um, better policing whereas buy-in from the beginning is is going to be more effective so I think Definitely would love to hear how also you've s um, discussed this with community organizations and also how you intend to make sure that whatever form of neighborhood or district advisory um, is involved in making this is also accessible and not just nonprofits or organizations with staff that have the ability and capacity to weigh in, but also mm -hmm. um, community that are most impacted have an opportunity to participate. And if that's fully the responsibility of, of the police and you, you're just kind of mandating this, then yeah, my question is uh, to re uh, reiterate the director's question, how are you gonna follow up on that process? Thank you. Oh, thank you, Commissioner. Yeah, we're, you know, when we were working on writing this uh, ordinance, we we're trying to strike a careful balance between the kind of bigger policy um, uh, bigger uh, picture policy that the supervisor uh, uh, should uh, write and, and kind of balance between between that and getting too much into the uh, operations and the, the management of the um, uh, district's uh, uh, district station. So we wanted to kind of maintain that uh, careful balance uh, so that um, we, we didn't um, uh, get into the specific operations of uh, uh, the, the department. Um, so, you know, currently for, for us, um, in, to just to speak for uh, di District 4, you know, we've, um, we felt that the, the process um, was not so, was not so um, clear on how different groups can uh, communicate. Um, and so, you know, that's why we, we came up with this, so that there's a, a little bit more um, formal uh, requirement and process for uh, getting a participation. And so I, I do think that this is, uh, you know, kind of a, an improvement over what we currently have and kind of a, an expansion over um, uh, any sort of past um, uh, requirements on getting uh, community groups to, to get involved and uh, the, the planning for uh, uh, policing at each of the district stations. So, you know, in terms of uh, accountability, you know, I think it'd be, we would, for, for our office, we would uh, proactively reach out to the uh, police department and uh, inform them that you know there are groups that we would like to uh, be be included in this. Um, 
at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it will be up to each of the um, uh, district stations to um, uh, come up and, and manage uh, manage this. But you know, I think that um, for for us um, as a supervisor office, you know, we um, will be advocates uh, to to ensure that uh, all the different diverse uh, community groups in our neighborhood are represented. So well, you know, I, I do encourage. Um, uh, the different community groups up there and other districts to um, to also you know proactively um, proactively engage and also will contact their supervisors' offices to, to ensure that they're included in, in the process as well. They feel like they, they may not necessarily be included. Thank you. Great. All right. Uh, there's no more questions on the docket here, so we'll uh, go to public comment. There's First, we'll take public comment from people attending. Uh, we have Janet Tarlov from the San Francisco Council of District Merchants. Great. Welcome, Janet. Hello, commissioners. Hello. Um, I, I Sorry, I, I came in uh, a bit late, but I did read through the, uh, through the um, legislation, and um, I'm wearing a couple of different hats today, and I don't know if there's like a, a time... Uh, limit on on my questions, but I um, I am here uh, representing the uh, legislative um, committee of the San Francisco Council of District Merchants, and we represent all of the well, not all of them, but 35 of the merchant corridors uh, in San Francisco are our members, and um, we uh, make recommendations to our um, our board. For what uh, to support, and um, so this uh, legislation is on our agenda, and um, we had uh, several different um, uh, kind of just questions uh, about it. Um, one is uh, well, just to echo uh, what one of the commissioners was talking about about the continuity of um, the captains. At each uh, station, they do turn over very frequently, and it's quite a job to uh, establish a relationship with a with a new captain. And um, we can see how um, a community plan that we are that's interactive could um, assist with um, uh, helping us uh, have continuity from one captain to the next. Um, we are wondering uh, about uh, services that uh, merchants um, often identify, quality of life uh, issues that merchants identify as an SFPD issue that uh, perhaps are better handled by uh, other social service agencies. And, um, and we, you know, I guess we're just wondering if, you know, this uh, might become something that... Um, the merchant, uh, the merchant groups kind of see as a, a way of, of getting other problems solved that are not necessarily part of SFPD's um, uh, area, but, um, but there isn't another easy uh, group to take care of them. These are homelessness issues, mental health issues um, that are currently you know, not necessarily a, a policing issue. Um, so that's, uh, um, as I'm wearing my uh, Council of District Merchants hat, I don't know if I should pause and allow there to be a response or if this is just comments. 
We're not allowed to interact with public commenters. You get two minutes. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll wrap it up by just saying that I, I also um, am uh, part of the, uh, the captain, the police captain, uh, has a, a merchant advisory panel that I, uh, I meet. I attend the meetings once a month, and I had the opportunity to ask um, uh, their police representative what they thought of, uh, of this ordinance, and the the response that I got was um, uh, certainly uh, supportive, as was uh, characterized, but uh, just um, some question about how it, uh, wondering how it's different from what is already happening. There are plans that are being produced uh, for community policing and, um, and uh, also just how it interacts with the, um, the staffing issues that are going on at SFPD. So none of this is a, uh, a policy um, of the Council of District Merchants. These are just the, the questions that come to mind as we discuss it in our legislative um, sessions. So thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? We have one caller on the line, I believe. Great. Caller, please proceed. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Please proceed. Okay, Stephen Cornell here with the Pope District Merchants, and I'm also on the Legislative Committee of the Council. Uh, one thought I had was now that we're in the middle of redistricting and trying to balance everything out throughout the districts, the police districts are completely different than the supervisory districts. And maybe something to look at for in this legislation is to align the supervisory district with the police district. It might make some more sense. So when there's a community group from a district, it's the same for supervisor as with district. Um, also, if you take a, a place like Polk Street, we are in the middle of two police districts. I know Divisadero is in the middle of two police districts. Um, doesn't make sense sometimes. So if you're on one side of the street you, and have a problem and you call, you're going to get a policeman from one district and then on the other side, a separate one. It's a thought as, as maybe it can be changed under this legislation. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? No. Okay. Um, uh, Alan, I, I don't know if you want to take a minute uh, to uh, respond to uh, any of the public commenters um, and their suggestions. Um, there were there were a few that were mentioned. Is there any particular one? Because I, I, you know, I, I sure. Didn't yeah, the... yeah. I, I can help. Sure. Uh, one question or uh, one of the public comment uh, from Janet was about whether uh, a community policing plan could be a way of uh, coming up with a plan for non-law enforcement. Uh, interactions with uh, folks who might be going through some kind of mental health crisis or, or uh, some other uh, uh, like a substance abuse disorder or something. Um, so is a, a, is a community policing plan the place where alternative approaches to these problems can be 
Uh, I, I would say that this would be consistent with uh, our, our legislation's uh, intent uh, to be able to also uh, uh, be able to figure out alternative ways to that are uh, yeah, if it's uh, not necessarily a um, a law enforcement related uh, incident, to be able to find alternative uh, uh, approaches as well, you know, in, including social workers. Great, that's that's good to know. Um, one of the other questions was, how is this different from what police stations are doing currently? Um, not all pol police districts are uh, consistent, uh, unfortunately, and so this is the way to make it uh, consistent across the board. Okay, great. So this will uh, uh, hopefully uh, help uh, make this more consistent. Um, and then uh, I believe the last of her questions was um, how we thought a community policing plan might intersect with the uh, staffing of police, which uh, the you know the the most recent report we received from uh, Deputy Chief Lazar is that the staff was, uh, uh, they were having a, 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 a significant uptick in number of officers retiring. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this, this plan, uh, uh, this would be a plan on how we can best um, have community policing in our uh, neighborhoods and so, the each of the district stations, uh, you know, I think, would do their best to implement the the plan with uh, the um, the staffing that that they have. And at the same time, uh, you know, as on a separate uh, but maybe parallel course, um, those uh, staffing uh, discussions can uh, can also be be had. Um, as I uh, mentioned uh, earlier, on uh, uh, four or fourteen, we will have. A discussion at the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee about um, the the manning needs of the SFPP. Great. And um, uh, the last thing brought up by the other public commenter was uh, the whether or not it'd be possible possible to make the police stations align with the supervisorial districts. That is a really big question, uh, mm. and uh, you know, I'm—I don't think I'm prepared to answer that uh, question because you know I don't think we've uh, thought about it, and I, I think it might open a uh, big, uh, big kind of uh, worms that you know at this time we're not uh, prepared to really think about or, or discuss. So you know, at this point, I, I don't really have a good answer for. For that. So, are you saying you're not going to introduce this as an amendment? Um, I, um, I doubt we would uh, include anything that would uh, work to align I'm, police I'm, district. I'm, I'm teasing you, Alan. I, 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 a little bit of a joke. I'm sorry. I know the jokes don't convey with the mask and everything, but uh, yeah. Okay, uh, commissioners, uh, do we have a motion? I'll make one if. If, if no one else is so inclined. Okay, I'll, I'll make it. Uh, I vote that, or uh, I move that we approve the legislation as drafted. Motion to approve this legislation as drafted by President Laguana, seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Huey is absent. President Laguana? 
Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Sazunas. Yes. Motion passes with two absences. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you, Alan. Our thanks to you and the supervisor for the legislation. Next item, please. Item three, Board of Supervisors file 220-264, Adult Sex Venues. Commission will discuss and may take action on an ordinance amending the planning code to define adult sex venue and principally permit, conditionally permit, or prohibit adult sex venues in commercial, residential commercial production, distribution, and repair, neighborhood commercial, neighborhood commercial transit, and mixed-use districts. This is a discussion and action item, and today we have Jacob Bintliff, a legislative aide to uh, Supervisor Mandelman here, and Aaron Starr from the Planning Department is joining us remotely, I believe. Great. Welcome. Hi there. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Jacob Bentliff here on behalf of Supervisor Mandelman. And I would like to reassure you or perhaps disappoint you, there are no redistricting related amendments in this ordinance either. <laughs> so if that's what you were here for, I, I got nothing for you. Yeah. But I think it'll be, it'll be interesting all the same. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I, we can promise back to you that we will uh, try and stay focused on the sex <laughs> venues um, and not the chanting outside. You're, we're, I'm going to do my best to, ne to help you out with that. It's, it's, I know we're all going to be really torn. Yeah. Um, Needless to say, there's a lot of exciting things happening tonight. So. Uh, <laughs> that's what we do here at San Francisco City Hall. Yes. Uh, entertaining, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> The, Id the item that is before you, however, is, is an ordinance uh, to update the city's zoning controls for adult sex venues, uh, including what have often been referred to as, quote, gay bathhouses. Bathhouses are a common feature in the LGBTQ community in many cities around the world and used to be quite common in San Francisco uh, as well. The purpose of this ordinance is to address a lingering stigma and trauma in the LGBTQ community in San Francisco that stems back to the AIDS crisis uh, while recognizing and supporting these communities and also supporting queer-owned local businesses uh, to be a part of the city's economic recovery coming out of the pandemic. Let me give a little more background on how we got here. In June of 2020, the board passed an ordinance also from Supervisor Mandelman that replaced outdated public health uh, requirements that had effectively banned businesses in San Francisco, bathhouse businesses in San Francisco, since the AIDS crisis in the early 80s. That ordinance updated the health code, didn't make any changes to the planning code, which we're dealing with today. Uh, and that health code ordinance directed the uh, director of public health to adopt some new minimum standards for health and safety governing the operation of adult sex venues. And it directed that these standards could not include requirements to monitor patron sexual activities or prohibiting locked doors on private rooms. Those were regulations that had been a legacy of the city's response to the early days of the AIDS crisis, and that's what had effectively uh, shuttered many of these businesses, uh, most of them. So that ordinance passed. The health code, uh, the new standards from the health department were issued in January of 2021. These minimum standards lay out basic requirements for safe adult sex venues, such as verifying the age of clients at the door, prohibiting the use of drugs and alcohol on the premises, prohibiting the admission of patrons who are obviously under the influence and requiring the provision of safe sex supplies like condoms as well as educational resources on sexual health and testing. 
These new standards recognize the advancements in sexual health awareness and preventative treatments uh, with respect to HIV in particular over the past decades and the potential for safe sex venues to assist in the city's efforts to control the spread of HIV and sexually transmitted infections through education and the establishment of community norms. So we thought we were in good shape after the passage of that ordinance and the adoption of those minimum standards allowing for bathhouses to return. Uh, however, around the same time, that was January of last year, we learned, uh, we were contacted by a would-be entrepreneur who was seeking to open a bathhouse in Soma. They were told by the planning department that that would not be possible uh, based on the zoning administrator's determination that these businesses would be considered as adult businesses for the purposes of the planning code. So that's a capitalized term, adult, capital A, capital B. Adult business in the planning code is a type of retail uh, use that includes things uh, referenced as adult bookstores, adult video stores, adult theaters, uh, something called an encounter studio as well. Uh, these uses are broadly not permitted throughout the city, and in particular, they were not permitted in many of the areas where, that are uh, strongly associated with LGBTQ history, like Soma and the Castro, where we would have expected these businesses to open up. So that was the problem uh, that, that emerged, and in particular, that was Castro, Upper Market, Tenderloin, and Soma. Um, since then, we heard from a number of other entrepreneurs who sought to open LGBTQ-oriented uh, adult sex venue bathhouse businesses in these areas, and they have also been blocked under the current zoning. So the ordinance that is before you today would seek to remedy that by supporting the establishment of uh, adult sex venues in areas that are strongly associated with the LGBTQ community. Specifically, the ordinance does that by establishing a new definition in the planning code for an adult sex venue use that would be defined as a type of retail service use that operates pursuant to those health code minimum standards for an adult sex venue that I mentioned. Uh, per the health code, those are businesses where consenting adults of any gender are allowed and invited to engage in sexual activities with other patrons and does not include sexual acts or performances by employees of the business. So I think that's an important distinction when thinking about uh, some of the other issues that often come up around uh, trafficking and illicit activities. This is regarding the patrons of the business who are consenting adults being invited to engage in that activity in the business in a way that's regulated by the health department. Uh, so that would all be embedded in the definition here in the planning code that is in this ordinance. It also would then establish the zoning controls for adult sex venues in the, in the zoning tables throughout the city that would allow it in the same, to the same extent as the existing controls for adult businesses within a given district with some key exceptions, the areas that I mentioned. Namely, uh, the ordinance would make adult sex venues principally permitted in the Castro and Upper Market Corridor, Western Soma, and part of the Tenderloin. These areas overlap with the Castro LGBTQ Cultural District, the Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District, the Transgender Cultural District uh, as well. In the Tenderloin, uh, I wanna uh, emphasize the zoning changes uh, as proposed currently would be limited to just the block of Turk Street between Taylor and Jones. This is to allow for Eros, which is a legacy business and actually the last remaining bathhouse to continue uh, operating. Uh, at this time to relocate after having lost their longtime space on Upper Market earlier this year. Uh, as fate would have it, the new location that they found on Turk is actually the site of a previous bathhouse, Bulldog Baths, um, that had been closed for many years. And so as much as we will miss them in the Castro, uh, we are very pleased to be able to accommodate this new chapter uh, for Eros by allowing um, businesses such as Eros to open up in this part of the Tenderloin. Uh, I will want to really thank Ken Rowe of Eros, who you'll be hearing from in a moment as well, for his great work building consensus with the surrounding community. And I'd like to note the support for this change from the Transgender Cultural District, as well as the Tenderloin SRO Collaborative. 
Uh, just a couple other things to note, the ordinance would also allow for 24-7 operations of adult sex venues only in areas where they're principally permitted, provided that noise control, lighting, and security standards are met, which are spelled out in the planning code. In areas where adult sex venues are conditionally permitted, uh, the business may also seek permission to operate between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. as part of that conditional use request to the Planning Commission. Um, those hours of operation are usually not permitted without a conditional use uh, in general. Finally, while adult sex venues may be operated in combination with a bathhouse or a massage use, I want to be clear that public bathhouses would continue to be permitted pursuant to the pub, uh, police code and that massage operations would continue to be regulated by the Department of Public Health. You could have these things in tandem, but all the you know, different jurisdictions are gonna have their, um, their look at that, that proposal. So this ordinance did go to the Planning Commission last week, and before wrapping up, I just wanna be sure and address the recommendations that were adopted by the Planning Commission. Uh, overall, these are technical fixes that we will be incorporating into the ordinance. Uh, in particular, we appreciate the Commission's recommendation to expand on the definition of an adult sex venue to clarify that they may be operated in combination with other uses, particularly bathhouse and spa uses, and that they may also uh, be a business that receives a limited live performance permit as well. Uh, Supervisor Mandelman will also be accepting the recommendation to expand the part of the tenderloin that would allow for adult sex venues to include the entire transgender cultural district. This recommendation is based on the strong historic presence of bathhouses in that area, and I've also been able to confirm the support for that change with the Transgender Cultural District as well as with Supervisor Haney's office. In closing, commissioners, again, the purpose of this ordinance is to complete, we hope, the work that we began in 2020 to overcome the lingering stigma of a very painful chapter uh, in the history of San Francisco's queer community by once again welcoming these safe LGBTQ affirming spaces in our city and paving the way for queer business owners to open up and contribute to our post-pandemic economic recovery. Uh, I wanna thank the Castro LGBTQ, Leather and LGBTQ and Transgender Cultural Districts, Golden Gate Business Association, Castro Merchants Association and the Castro Community Benefits District for their support, as well as Aaron Starr and Dep uh, the Planning Department and Deputy City Attorney Audrey Pearson uh, for helping us with this ordinance over the past several months. I also wanna thank Audrey Merloni at the Planning Department who wrote a really excellent case report, if you haven't had a chance to look at it from planning, goes into some of the history uh, of these bathhouses, where they were located, some of the history around how they came to be shut down uh, in the 80s. So uh, with that, I wanna thank you for your consideration and your time, and of course, I'll be here for any questions. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the uh, very detailed presentation. Appreciate that, Jacob. Uh, commissioners, do we have any questions? Vice President Zazunas. Jacob, you may just want to stay up. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you for your presentation. Of course. Um, and I think this is really important, you know, to be on record that this is a sector that has been, um, you know, targeted and it's mm -hmm. disproportionately a sector with a certain demographic. Um, I think that that's in line with our, our equity goals as a commission to, to try to update our codes to, to correct those historical um, laws. Um, my question is, so you're not necessarily grandfathering in existing venues. You're, you're identifying the corridors and neighborhoods that they exist in and, and essentially like bringing the code up to, to um, a legal standing. So is there a chance that there's any venues that are gonna be revoked in their, in their, their conditional use? Mm -hmm. um, and if you can speak to that. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And throughout all of this, we wanted to be sure we weren't doing anything that was going to kind of, uh, you know, overturn anyone's uh, apple cart, what they've, what they've, been, what they've been doing, because, you know, these businesses may have taken a number of forms over the years. Uh, in general, with the planning department, you know, if something has been operating, um, if the law changes, they are able to continue operating as a non-conforming use, because the zoning code does change, you know, obviously quite a bit from time to time. So um, we don't believe, it's not our understanding, that the adoption of these changes in the planning code would negatively impact any existing business, no matter where they're located. The issue comes when you try to open in a new space. And this is, in, for example, what happened with Eros. I mean, the business has been around, it's a legacy business, but the location that they had identified was in an, a zoning district that said no on adult business. And so we're creating this adult sex venue um, category to say yes for that use uh, in that location as well as others. So I did mention those specific areas that we're going out of our way to make sure that this use is allowed that do correspond to the LGBTQ community throughout San Francisco. There's also a lot of other areas like the whole kind of downtown area and the C3 zoning district that also allows for these uses because um, we kind of copied what the adult business rules are for today mm -hmm. as the baseline, which, which are allowed in some places like downtown, and then we went further in certain districts. So we're not isolating it just to those areas that I mentioned. We're taking the baseline today and then making sure that we're um, fixing this, this zoning issue in these areas that uh, do correspond to these LGBTQ cultural districts. Okay, yeah, that answers my question, thank you. And I would also just like to say on the record, this is good government from our point of view because we've seen so many times a business that has a regulatory license has to move. They're mm -hmm. evicted, um, there's a soft story retrofit order, something like that, and they have to go to Board of Appeals to reopen even if they move a block down. Yeah. So this is, this is a big issue for our regulatory licensed businesses, which a lot are uh, minority-owned businesses, um, both in a demographic sense and uh, cultural background. So thank you for, for, for your work on this. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Commissioner Ortiz. Commissioner Sosuni's trigger something about good government. Um, I wanted to thank you because you did extraordinary outreach you know, a lot of communities, and, and they gave me the feedback, so I just wanted to highlight that you you went above and beyond on the outreach and community, so thank you. Thank you, appreciate that. Great. Um, Jacob, I, I, I think this commission is, is largely very um, accommodating and, and welcoming of, of this leg legislation. Um, Two, uh, you know, relatively minor points uh, that I wanted to bring up, maybe not necessarily related to the re legislation. Uh, but one is, in some cases, uh, some of these districts, uh, an adult sex venue will now be principally permitted, and uh, lighter uses, uh, like, say, a restaurant or a bar, will be conditional use. Um, and I would encourage the supervisor uh, if so inclined uh, to, uh, why not lighten the load for everybody uh, so that they can open businesses where businesses are needed. Um, the second thing I wanted to note is uh, this is kind of an arcane technical point. I'm not entirely sure I have a f complete grasp on it myself. So I'm, uh, this is uh, pursuant to a conversation I had with somebody in planning but on page nine, 
section three, there is a uh, proposed use is located in a cultural district. This is like the cultural district section. And so uh, my, my understanding, and, and I'm not the expert on this, so like if you have a lot of questions for me about it, I may not be able to answer it. But my understanding is, is that this particular change could have a downstream impact on other entertainment businesses uh, because of the way it's written um, in an unintended fashion. Mm. Uh, and probably should, uh, this legislation should probably go in front of the Entertainment Commission as a result so that they can talk that out. Um, or you may want to uh, consider uh, uh, how to uh, uh, address this issue, and I'm happy to connect with you offline later to, to talk that out. Yeah, thank you for uh, bringing that up, Commissioner. So I think the language that you're referring to is regarding uh, when there is a conditional use that's required. Correct. Right. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, if the proposed use is located in a cultural district established under Administrative Code Section 107, the Planning Commission shall consider the purpose and goals established in Section 107.2, as well as any recommendations set forth in the Culture, History, Housing, and Economic Stability Strategy Report for the district if one has been adopted pursuant to Section 107.4. So you can see why I might be a little intimidated to say that I have a, a, a clear understanding because some of the, the reference documents I haven't had a chance to uh, review. But uh, I think the understanding is the way the language is written. If the proposed use, it may be, could be interpreted broader at, at planning. Um, again, I'm, I'm happy to connect with you offline. Yeah. It's a, a minor technical arcane point in legislation that um, I'm otherwise uh, very inclined to support. Great. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's an important point to raise because we did stress over that, that language to make sure that it was um, specific enough. And this was actually something Commissioner Ortiz mentioned in the outreach when we did talk with Calle 24. We talked with the American Indian Cultural District, who's located very close to um, upper market as well. And there was, and as, as well as with those LGBTQ cultural districts I mentioned, and there was this idea that, you know, when the commission does have discretion, which is in the case of a conditional use, how are we making sure that one of the things they're gonna think about is the presence of the cultural district in question, if one exists in that area? Mm -hmm. So this language was encouraged by those cultural districts to be included, and it's written to be specific enough that it's meant to say, hey, planning commission, you need to think about these cultural districts, but also it's not so rigid that there's a set of, you know, five boxes that you need to check, and if you can't check one of them, the business wouldn't be able to move in. Um, it is a discretionary process at the conditional use, so it means that it'll be on those planning commissioners uh, rather than the business or anyone else to just say, okay, this is located in X cultural district. Mm. What are their key principles and goals as documented? Let me have that in my mind as I do my, my finding of conditional use, which is necessary and desirable in the planning right. code, which is, which is very broad. So it's meant to direct attention to that issue, without being so strict that it could, you know, shut somebody down because it didn't meet one of several um, requirements that are laid out. So, so hopefully it's, it's straddling um, the, the right line, but I do appreciate the, the suggestion to reach out to the Entertainment Commission as well, because it is in a code section that refers to nighttime businesses and entertainment businesses right. in general. Um, so that's, that is a fair, a fair point. It certainly does apply to more than just uh, adult sex venues. Um, but that was all, all the same, something that the cultural districts who we, who we spoke with were um, excited to see put into the code. Uh, it was kind of an opportunity, if yeah. you will, to kind of uh, put something in there that they had been sort of thinking about for some time. But how do we make sure we're being considered 
when there's an opportunity for discretion. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, appreciate all the work you put into outreach um, and your clear grasp of, of all the issues and, and the careful thought that has gone into this legislation that's exemplified by your answer. Um, I don't see any other commissioner questions. So uh, at this point now, we'll go to public comment. Hello, my name is Ken Rowe. I'm one of the owners of Eros, the Center for Safe Sex, and you've already heard we're a legacy business, um, which some of you probably knew already. <laughs> um, I've lived in the Western Edition since 1999. Eros itself has been in business since 1992, and we're currently a gay and trans-owned uh, business. I'm speaking in favor of this Adult Sex Venue Planning Code Amendment, um, and open to the modifications that have been going through as well. Our business model um, is a little different than um, what's in the legislation in that um, we're in some ways we're much more conservative and that's kind of, I think, how, how the legislation was, was written that it allows for businesses that um, are not 24 hours. Um, we operate kind of like a day spa and that we're open during the day and the evening but we don't, we're not 24 hours a day and we don't, uh, uh, we probably won't be even to midnight on most days of the week. Um, our mission has been to exceed the city's previous requirements for commercial sex venues. And because of that, we've been able to weather the health crises of the past of, and that we're currently going through of HIV, new strains of STIs, the drug crisis, and then, we, as you've heard, we found ourselves the only gay commercial sex venue to remain in business post the, our recent COVID-19 closures. Um, a few years ago, our longstanding location on Upper, or not a few years ago, recently, um, our location uh, had a change of ownership, and the new, uh, the new owners had other plans for the um, for the site. So we searched um, for almost half a year all over the city, but specifically looking at the queer related uh, cultural districts. And that's what we ran up against <laughs> what you've heard uh, reported on that there really wasn't any place for us to be. Um, uh, so even if we could find landlords that were interested in working with us, which is exceedingly rare, we couldn't find uh, the zoning. Um, so, but currently we found a great landlord on Turk in a historic building within the transgender district. And now we just need your support for, for this zoning amendment. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? There is no other public comment. Oh, here they come. Oh. Hey, um, <clears throat> hello, my name is Gabby. Um, I'm here uh, representing the transgender um, district. Um, I'm one of the program associates uh, and I'm here in support of the legislation that has been put forward for um, adult sex venues. And <clears throat> I'm also in support of um, Eros as a small business in our district. I think that it aligns perfectly with our five-year plan to revitalize the neighborhood and in a way, put it back to his former glory back, um, you know, historically. Um, 
our boundaries were a safe haven for LGBTQ folk, just to put it in an umbrella. Um, so I think that it is important that today we honor that through um, by allowing um, our community to open businesses and thriving in a space that was once exclusively allowed, like as an area that was exclusive for them. Um, and I also want to express that I am um, for all the recommendations that have been set forth. Um, thank you. Great. Thank you. Next commenter, go ahead, please. Hey everyone, my name is Sam Favela. I work for the Castro Culture District, but I'm representing myself. I am queer, um, Latinx, and I am in support of everything that was put forth, not only because it's good for small businesses, but also it's a form of reparations for the queer community that was put on us in the 80s and uh, 1997. So yeah, um, very much in support, and thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on the line? We have one public commenter on the line. Great. Commenter, please proceed. Hello, my name is Bob Goldfarb. I'm the executive director of the Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District. Uh, and I am here to express uh, our support uh, for this legislation. Uh, this needed legislation is long overdue and will remove a final roadblock to reestablishing queer businesses that were closed due to stigma surrounding HIV and the AIDS crisis. This will benefit the community by helping to remove stigma, creating more community serving spaces, as well as energize possibilities for queer businesses that have been prevented from opening in the city. And we urge you to support this legislation. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? There are no other public commenters. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, commissioners, any conversations, amendments, suggestions, or anything else? Okay. Uh, I move that we uh, approve the legislation as drafted. I'll second. Motion to approve by President Laguana, seconded by Vice President Zizunas. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Huey is absent. President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zuzunas. Yes. Motion passes four to zero with two absences. Right. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you, Jacob. Thank you, everyone. And thank uh, Supervisor Mandelman for us as well. Next item, please. Item four, resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953E. This is a discussion and action item. Commissioners, uh, do we have any questions about the uh, finding to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953-E? Okay, seeing none, is there any public comment on this finding? There's no public comment. Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, commissioners, can I have a motion? I'll, I'll, I'll move to adopt this resolution. Moved by C Vice President Zizunas. I'll second. Seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Huey is absent. President Laguana. Yes. 
Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Zazunas? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Motion passes with two absences. Uh, okay, thank you. Next item, please. Item five, small business survey of 2022. This is a discussion item. The commission will review a draft small business survey, which is a follow-up to a survey conducted in 2020 to gauge the impact of COVID-19 on small businesses in San Francisco. Great. Uh, I guess, uh, Director, you'll be uh, uh, presenting this item for us today. Yes. So uh, good evening, Commissioner. So um, Commissioner Huey uh, would have presented on this if she were here today, so I'm going to fill in. Um, so back in May of 2021, there was a survey that was released uh, to measure um, both qualitatively and quantitatively um, the impacts of COVID-19 on small businesses in San Francisco. And this was done in partnership with San Francisco State University. Uh, and so this item here before us, uh, we are discussing a follow-up to that survey. So in your binders, there's um, some draft questions and hopefully you had a chance to look them over, uh, but we wanted to check in with the commission uh, to see if, have we missed any questions? Are there things that you're curious about that you would like to include in the survey uh, so that we could better understand the impacts of COVID-19 on small businesses? Uh, we are constantly asked about the impacts and so, um, could see this as an opportunity to help us uh, better understand what has gone on. So if you need to take a moment, uh, please do, but uh, those questions are before you in the, uh, the binder. Uh, one suggestion I would make, uh, and so uh, commissioners for, for this item, I think we'll just switch to open conversation uh, rather than being recognized so that we can have a facilitate a, a, a quick discussion here. Um, one thing I noticed right out, out of the gate is uh, multiple choice answers should always be des designated as select all that apply. Uh, so what are the biggest challenges you faced pre-pandemic slash 2019? There's no question numbers here too that would facilitate. Let me just number it so I could make sure we're doing the same questions. Five, six, seven, eight. So it'd be question nine, um, should probably say select all that applies. Question 10, what are the biggest challenges you're facing now? Should say select all that apply. Um, and maybe uh, conversely, wherever it's just pick one, it should say just pick one. And then um, since the beginning of the pandemic, and then I'll, I'll continue reading. And if I have any more thoughts, I'll, I'll share them. And, and commissioners, feel, please feel free to just speak up if anything comes to mind. I'll also note that uh, we did review the questions from the last, the first survey, and we tried to strip out as many questions that, you know, really weren't being used um, in any particular way. Uh, we do understand there's uh, survey fatigue in the small business community. So also being mindful of kind of being brief and as short as we possibly can while making it useful. Um, thanks to Commissioner Huey uh, for her coordination with, with SF State on this. Um, from my first read, um, when, when you sent us the draft and, and looking again now uh, with a lens of is there anything that is going to be data that the city needs while making policy that we can 
support in this process. Um, I think that we have some pretty relevant items for um, shared spaces and um, communications, form of communication that a business receives updates for. I think those are things that can be actionable for, for our commission down the line, um, which I like. Um, but that's just my feedback, is if we can look at this through a lens of you know, what, what is going to be data that we can act on and help the city make better policy now. So that's kind of what I just wanted to, to pose. Sure. Uh, director, uh, on question number 13, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, has this business requested financial assistance from any of the following sources? And several sources are listed. Um, understandably, many of them are, are grouped together into larger categories. So we have bank loans, federal loans, federal tax credits, local loans, business tax. Um, as just, uh, I guess, a, a personal request, if we could break out from federal tax credits, ERTC, as a separate item, I have heard from several businesses that have gotten six-figure checks from, the, they've started receiving six-figure checks from uh, the employee retention tax credit. The adoption of the ERTC in small business, the last time we checked, it was under 5%. Uh, I've said many times, uh, people that have been on this commission for a while are, are probably tired of hearing me uh, say it, uh, but this is the single uh, aid program that has the most opportunity to make the biggest impact to the most number of small businesses in San Francisco. It is horrendously underutilized, and for that reason, I think that we should be paying very careful attention to that credit in particular um, because it has so much opportunity to do so much good. Even President Biden has said not enough businesses have uh, availed themselves of this tax credit, and it does result in actual checks from the U.S. Treasury. It's not just you, you pay less taxes. You, you, you get it back as a check and it, and it can be very substantial and has made a big difference in, in the handful of businesses I've been able to drag over the finish line uh, that, I'm, that I've chatted with about it, um, including my own. So uh, yeah, I want to keep a, a, a real close eye on that one. Maybe in line with that, because I know we've talked a lot about how grants sometimes can be more of a barrier um, to access if maybe if we had something that also caught you know like why they didn't apply you know hmm good good point you mean related specifically related to grants or why they didn't apply for sort of like the myriad of... I, I think the question, like, I'll, I'll try and help formulate a question. You tell me if this yeah. hits, gets what you're going at. Um, are you aware of any grants that you would like to apply to but feel that you couldn't apply to? And if so, what... Hmm, let Maybe me. like technical access. I mean, we tech access has been a consistent theme for us that... I know we're trying to figure out how to make an action item around, so it'd be good to figure out if there is an actual tech 
you know, technical support barrier. So, may, may so have you encountered any barriers in applying for aid and then list language barriers, t technical assistance barriers? Uh, not knowing it. Not, not yeah. being aware that a program existed, not knowing where to get started, um, not having enough money to pay for uh, an, an accountant or an advisor or somebody to apply, not having enough time, too complicated. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good list off the top of my head, yes. I'd say. Okay, so, <laughs> so a separate question about if they were interested in applying for something and didn't, like why, okay. Have you encountered any obstacles in applying for grants or loans? Um, have you encountered any of these obstacles in applying for grants or loans? I think that'd be the most expansive way of, of capturing what I think uh, Vice President Zunis is driving at. Oh, please, go ahead. You talk about um, obstacles. Would reservations be in there somewhere? I, I'm thinking just off the top of my head of people who have encountered small businesses where their reservation is because whether it's information they don't have, it could be, the, the technology is a big one, but um, I know of businesses that they'll have their business license but don't have their seller's permit or there's a limitation in information they have or don't have. So I'm thinking as far as the terminology, would they respond to reservation? Like what, what, what was it that hindered you from applying? Or I mean, I'm not sure if, I'm not getting caught up on the words, but something that would, uh, you know, would indicate a reservation as opposed to an obstacle. Not saying obstacle isn't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't. So I'm, I'm in the rental business, and so when you talk about reservations, I think like, oh, you want to reserve a van. But oh, you're but talking about reservations uh, in the sense of, of just being cautious or trepidatious about. Uh, or just not feeling like they can even fill out the application, or right, they feel right. like they need the assistance. Or so, so, could you say if it's not for right? Could you say over like overwhelmed with overwhelmed? Yes. overwhelmed. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I've I've heard a lot of businesses even say, oh, that's not for my community. Like you know, because we've had so many tailored programs that sometimes people don't know that if they're it's not even tailored eligible for them, that for it, they're also yeah. eligible. Yeah, uh -huh. I've thought about that. Great. Uh, any other suggestions as we look through this? Didn't the professor say she wanted to um, have more write-in questions this time around? Was that vetoed? Or was that like changed? We, uh, I think there's, I mean, there's some like text boxes in here that say like, please explain. Okay. But I think she, mm -hmm. one thing that she does have planned is to do more um, qualitative surveys, like one-on-one -on -one conversations with okay. a number of businesses. So, I mean, not not everybody, but I think oh, she's I interested in, in... Like focus groups? Uh, I, oh, I think just like one-on-one, like one -on -one. on one, just to get a better 
glimpse and idea from. In the, okay. the last question says, we would like to speak with business owners such as you. If you're willing to speak with us, please provide us your preferred mode of contact. Yeah, so then uh, I, I would imagine in those conversations they could capture some additional information. But yeah, there's a couple text boxes in here for where people could write their essays. Okay, well, great. Um, any other feedback or comment? Okay, I'm, well, I'm, I imagine, when, when did do, uh, we plan to go live with this? Well, um, I don't know the exact timing, but one of the key steps was figuring out the questions here. Yeah. I think right now um, the professor is going, like, going over logistics and like the survey tool with her students. It's kind of on like a semester timeline with her class, and then I think they will be able to dis distribute it. You know, I would like to see a question simply because I see so many, um, and maybe it's in here and I just don't see it. Um, just because I, and maybe it's just me, but I get so many emails from businesses about this. Um, in, in the past year, has your business uh, been the victim of a crime? Um, and maybe some indicator of how often, you know, once, one to three times, three to five times, 10 times or more, like, you know, just one of those uh, multiple choice. I see that it's uh, in biggest challenges, there's a, a public safety question, but there's nothing that gives us a sense of how uh, frequent or, or relative um, it is to everything else, else that's going on with their business. And um, as I believe you guys know, the, the commission periodically gets emails about this as well. So I think it would be responsive to that concern to try and measure uh, frequency. Can I clarify on that question if you mean during the pandemic or, or just in general? I would say, like, let's just look at the past year because once we start to move past a year, then we, we, we start getting farther away from any policies that are currently in place and plus any general trends that are currently in place and, and any processes that have done. Um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to Commissioner Huey and the professor to decide how to best get at this, but I think the question would be, um, A, trying to get a sense of whether or not they, they have suffered some kind of crime B, perhaps, you know, was it theft? Was it vandalism? Was it graffiti? Um, you know, was it something else? Uh, and then uh, the next question would be, um, give us a sense of, of frequency. You know, has, has this hap happened, you know, just once in the past year, twice, five times, more than 10? And I got businesses that email me that say they're having people break into their business twice a week now. Uh, so uh, it's hard to break apart whether this is just one person in a really bad corner or really bad situation or a changing neighborhood, and it's anecdotal, or is this something that is actually happening across a broad array of businesses? And, and I think the survey could help uh, perhaps get to the, uh, help shed some light on, on to what degree is that anecdotal and what degree is it actually showing something that's real. Is, on that note, is it also worth asking if they report all of those? Yeah, I think that's, 
That's an, another interesting question. How reliable is, is the data that we do have? If nobody's uh, reporting stuff, then that would indicate that our data is, uh, as collected by the police department, is, is under-reporting. On the other hand, if everybody is reporting, then that means that we could probably rely on the police data as being pretty accurate. All right, anything else? No? Okay, uh, public comment. Is there anybody who'd like to make pub public comment? Uh, Janet, if you wanna make public comment and you're the only person here, just walk right up to the mic. You don't have to turn in a card. <laughs> Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Janet Tarlov and uh, now I'm wearing another hat altogether um, from the, uh, I'm the president of the Glen Park Merchants Association. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, it might be helpful to ask uh, businesses uh, about uh, legal entanglements. Uh, just anecdotally in our neighborhood, um, uh, two of the businesses have recently had ADA lawsuit issues um, mm. and a number of our businesses have had uh, labor uh, related uh, complaints made against them, uh, all of those uh, issues uh, resulted in settlements and uh, for some of these businesses, they are um, uh, potentially uh, uh, going to cause these businesses to go out of business. And um, uh, from my own personal experience from before the pandemic, we never ever had anything come up and since the pandemic, Partly, I think it's related to um, general mental health um, for mm -hmm. uh, the population that we employ. And um, we've, we've just had a number of very tricky situations that we've had to uh, kind of manage. And um, I think that might be something that would be interesting to find out through this survey. Great. Uh, Director, do you capture that? I did, and in fact, I think it might even be helpful, could potentially be um, helpful to tack onto the second to last question, what would be the greatest support to your business right now, or we could add it into the challenges section as well. So we can talk about where it could fit in. Uh, I would say both. Both. We Why not both? both? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, yeah, ADA. Uh, OLSE, uh, what, what other enforcement mechanisms might somebody uh, come into? I mean, Regu regulatory and licensing challenges is on here. Oh, it is. Um, and I know we put that on specifically last time because of things like there's the same thing happening with, with, um, with EBT licensed businesses, there's insane settlements for bogus claims that are just shutting stores down. So um, I, I would say if we wanna put in parentheses there, like ADA, EBT, deep, you know, health which permit. Question, which question is that? Question. What were the biggest challenges you faced pre-pandemic? Or, I, well, I guess that's a pre-pandemic question. What are the biggest changes, challenges? We, we ask the same answers for both, just to gauge if it was a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the pandemic. same. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't I see the... 
license and yeah okay it's the same so um, maybe just put in parentheses in those on the those items examples of regulatory or license op, uh, issues so um, yeah that's interesting uh, I guess one concern I have is that list is so long um, there's looks like about 20 items on there uh, availability of employees, graffiti, yeah, you're right, some of that stuff is caught on there. But oh. it was something you said, um, President Laguna, yeah. on the one that has uh, the biggest challenges, Yeah. you, you said you were, you were recommending all that apply. Yes, correct. Right, yeah. so me personally, when I'm doing a when I'm doing a survey such as this, uh -huh. and I see all that apply, I always will go to the bottom, and then I'll go in a and go back to all of the ones that apply. That's just how I okay. do. Okay, got uh, it. <laughs> I think we might but, actually ask like top three in there. I'm sorry, what? I think we might actually ask the top three, like list. Katie, do you remember the biggest challenges? Not not on this survey, not right now. Oh. Yeah, and I I would like to capture all that apply. I think, I mean, for me, I'm checking off almost every single one of these well, boxes. Yeah, when you have a list that long <laughs> it, to, for there to be focus on that, you want to check all those that apply. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I, I, I actually, just because of how much legislation and, and I guess political energy is invested right now in ADA, I, I almost wonder if it might make sense to break that out as a, a separate question. Uh, because it seems um, uh, salient from a uh -huh. from a policy maker perspective. That is a big deal right now. Yeah, I know. In the Bayview, we're dealing with that right now with uh, quite a few that are under these lawsuits. And, and 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 I think it's it's different saying. In the past year, have you? been the defendant in an ADA lawsuit versus what are the biggest challenges you're facing right now? Maybe you got sued two years ago or uh -huh. you know, maybe eight months ago you already paid the settlement. You're not facing it as a challenge right now, but it was still a big problem eight months ago. Uh -huh. uh, so I think uh, something finding out what's happened in the past year uh, would, would probably give us a little bit more visibility into that problem. Um, so I think thinking this through, uh, Probably the way to think about this is, uh, Director, uh, perhaps we need a new question. In the past year, have you encountered any of the following? Uh, been sued for ADA, um, and then some of these public safety issues. In other words, take them out of biggest challenges and turn it into, is this something you've encountered in the past year? But I would still like to get a, a sense of frequency on, on the public safety stuff. Does that make sense? I uh, just want to clarify, you want to turn the question completely into no. uh, the past year, or you just want to take out a couple, you want to somehow, we want to divide some of the answer choices. The ones that um, seem like something that would happen to you within the past year rather than the biggest challenge, right? Like there, there might be like one-off incidences, incidents. So say, for example, what are the biggest challenges you're facing right now? 
well, let's say uh, somebody threw a uh, uh, graf graffiti flash mob in front of my business in May of 2021. That's not the biggest challenge I'm facing right now. Mm -hmm. Right. But that was a big challenge back in May. So I think it'd be interesting for things that are sort of one off events to get a sense. Um, and to my mind, these are the public safety issues, like, right? Like, I mean, dirty and smelly streets is not something that, oh, that happened to me in May, but it's not happening now, right? Like that's, it's either, it's, it's mm -hmm. either happening or it's fixed and you don't Always think happening. about things that are fixed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm saying make a new question and in the new question, have any of the following things hap happened to your business in the past year? Been sued for an ADA violation. Um, had an employee file uh, some sort of labor complaint. Uh, your building has been tagged with graffiti. Uh, you've been the victim of shoplifting or retail crime. Uh, you've had to encounter um, or, or deal with some sort of uh, public safety issue related to street behavior or mental illness. And I th think those are the ones that jump out at me from this list. Okay. The only, um, I think, challenge I would see with doing it that way, um, and again, open to all of your feedback, though, is that, for example, with ADA lawsuits, it really was, it, it's even pre-pandemic. And so I think we we're trying to capture, you know, this has been a recurring issue for the last, you know, over a decade. Yeah. Um, but certainly we have heard about it in this last year, too. So I think the way we structured the questions, we were just trying to figure out what were some of your biggest pain points prior to pandemic and then what is still ongoing now. Um, but I think we could try to figure out a way to identify frequency. So anyway, just an explanation for how, why we structured it this way. No, I, 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 I think I understand that. I, it's not a hill I'm gonna die on. Um, so um, I, I think if we can find a way to capture that information, um, you know, uh, certainly I defer to the people that are doing the work as, as to what they think is the best way to go about things. I'm just making the suggestion. I think, great. We, we definitely will share that with, uh, with the team. Great. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, so I think we had our public comment. We can close this item. And next item, please. Item six, approval of draft meeting minutes. Great. Uh, commissioners, have you had a chance to approve the minute or review the minutes? Does anybody have any objections? Okay. Seeing none. Is there any public comment? There's no public comment. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioners, can I have a motion? I move to approve. I second. I'll call the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Huey is absent. President Laguana. Uh, yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. Vice President Zizunas. Yes. Motion approved. Great. Next item, please. Item seven, general public comment. This is a discussion item and it allows members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction, but not on today's calendar and suggest new agenda items for the commission's future consideration. Great. Are there any members of the public who would like to make comments? Uh, this is a great 
opportunity to give us suggestions about what we should look at it on, on future items, but they cannot be about any items on the agenda. Is there any public commenters on the line? There are none. Okay. Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item. Item eight, director's report. This is a presentation and discussion item. Great. All right, uh, all right, commissioners. So for a report um, today, just wanted to um, share a reminder about our ADA grant program for inspections of either the um, front entrance or the full uh, storefront. So that is currently open through June 30th. And we're gonna be doing some in-person outreach um, just in case the information's not getting out to people via uh, email or social media. So we're going to be uh, using uh, DBI's list of properties that have not submitted any of their, um, you know, uh, checklist requirements that are due June 30th. So this week we're going to go out with uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena to the mission, and we'll continue that, and I'll probably reach out to uh, many of you to, to assist with these um, outreach efforts. Also, don't know if you saw in the news today that RDA as well as uh, LACA has announced that they're going after a law firm that has been uh, bringing up um, hundreds and hundreds of these lawsuits, um, both in San Francisco and, and other places. And so uh, that was just announced today uh, that there was that action taken against that, that particular law firm. And then uh, in terms of other grant programs, the rent relief grant program has closed. Um, so I don't know how many um, applicants will actually be awarded in the end, but originally the plan was 50 businesses would benefit from rent relief grants, um, and there were hundreds of applications. And also currently going on is the SF Shines grant program. So um, through OEWD, if uh, any business needs uh, professional design services, such as architectural drawings to apply for permits, that applications are currently open uh, for that and uh, will be ongoing until funds are exhausted. Also wanted to share that uh, regarding the Neighborhood Anchor Business Program, uh, this is uh, through legislation from Supervisor Connie Chan. Uh, through that uh, program, we are required to create a registry for businesses that are over 15 years um, old in San Francisco, and it, that w came with it a position, uh, a 9774 uh, community uh, development specialist position. So that job application we just launched um, is open, and so um, that is posted. And then uh, in regards to shared spaces and compliance, um, I know this commission just got a presentation about shared spaces, and so you're aware of the timing of, um, the, based on the ordinance, um, April of 2023 is when businesses would need to uh, be in compliance. And so uh, we are advocating for additional grant funding uh, so that the compliant grants can continue. Um, otherwise, it would end on April 30th, where the applications are due then. And so we want to make sure that um, businesses, once they find out what they are not in compliance with in the city, then they can actually access some funds to um, make improvements. And then last week, lastly, Small Business Week planning continues. So mark your calendars. I believe you already have for April 26th. Um, the accommodations will be at the Board of Supervisors. Uh, we'll also have some recognition um, here at the, uh, in terms of a resolution uh, in May. And then we're organizing a series of events in conjunction with Small Business Week, such as a webinar on starting a small business in San Francisco. That's in partnership with the Public Library on May 3rd. Um, there's a Legacy Business Mixer on May 5th. And then we're also um, hosting a webinar on digitizing a San Francisco business, uh, success stories and strategies for how to adapt and pivot to um, online 
um, online retail or services. So with that, I conclude and I'm happy to answer any questions. Great, thank you. Commissioners, do we have any questions? Pretty self-explanatory uh, presentation. Uh, is there any public comment? There's none. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item nine, commissioner comments and questions and new business. This is a discussion item allowing president and vice president and commissioners to report on recent small business activities, make announcements and make inquiries of staff. Great. Um, commissioners, uh, I have been serving on this commission now for three years. And for the very first time, I had a question that I could not answer. Um, and, um, well, actually, I probably could have answered if I, like, dug around forever. But um, because of all the time that I've spent on this commission, I knew that we had the Small Business Assistance Center. So, so I thought, <laughs> oh, I could probably ask them. This is what they do for the public. And it could be interesting to find out what would happen. So, I, you know, the question I had is, is I bought all these e-bikes for my business to rent in addition with the vans. And... Um, and we started thinking about like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, there was a big event, you know, like a festival or something like that. We could drive out with the van and we could just rent the bikes out of the back of the van and people could kind of cruise around and, you know, either come back or maybe we go pick them up or something. It was just a, just an idea. This is not the beginning of an empire. It was more <laughs> just, uh, uh, you know, some, something kind of fun to do on the side. Uh, but I, it occurred to me, uh, is it legal for me, you know, because we all see the, the bike share stuff that's um, out there, and, and you know they have some kind of license or permit. I know that those are, uh, permits are, are contested and, and fought for. So I thought if, if, I, if we just set up a, a van and started renting bikes out of the back of a van, like, I mean, is that going to, you know, cross some tripwire or something? So I sent, uh, I called. The Small Business Assistance Center, um, like any other uh, small business uh, would do, and, and Martha uh, answered, and I spoke with her, um, and she said, "You know, these are great questions. Let me look look into it, and I'll I'll go explore." And I didn't hear anything for two or three weeks, and I mean, I kind of forgot about it. And um, again, this wasn't the beginning of an empire; it was just like a little business idea. Today, she sent me an email. Oh my God. <laughs> so there has been this exhaustive exchange with the SFMTA, lots of questions going back and forth, and she's been trying to resolve, uh, you know, what, what we can do and what we can't do. And finally got to the point where she had hit the end of what she could do as somebody who wasn't the business owner. And still, we don't really have a clear answer from SFMTA because they're like, we just never really thought about this before. Um, and so I just wanted to shout out uh, what a great job Martha's doing, uh, because I, I, I just saw this really thoughtful answers, uh, you know, really trying hard to get to the bottom of this. And, and I thought if other small businesses are having this experience, that's fantastic. And also what an amazing resource for our businesses. Um, it, I, I mean, I serve on this commission and I've never, it's never occurred to me to utilize this service. Um, and how many questions do we have? And, and we think, 
I don't know, like I guess I gotta go spend two hours online looking it up when we could just pick up the phone and call and somebody has the answer or knows where to find the answer and it's like that much work you don't have to do. And if you're a small business owner, the one thing you don't have is time. And so, um, first of all, Martha is doing a stellar job uh, and what an asset she is to the Office of Small Business. Second of all, what an asset the Small Business Assistance Center is to the small business community and it really made me think about what we could do uh, or what I, I need to do uh, to help get the word out about this incredible resource and this uh, amazing team. I, periodically I hear about people that have this interaction, but I never had it myself. So it, it took me having it myself to really understand the value of that um, service that we provide and so um, I just wanted to, to acknowledge Martha in this meeting and, and share that story Good to know. say thank you so much for sharing that and we do have amazing staff uh, Martha Carol so many others in our office who do a fantastic job really care yeah yeah, yeah it's great okay uh, any other commissioners uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena Since our last meeting, um, Director Tang and Carrie um, facilitated a meeting with the person at DPW that's going to be in charge of implementing the street vendor legislation and the permitting process. Mm. That's been a real big key um, concern and, and it's been a big, big focus in our community, the Mission District and the Outer Excelsior. So um, Director Tang set up that meeting and it was great. Um, her name is Deborah Lux and um, it was just great to establish the first point of communication because this is going to be a vital component in our community and although the legislation for the permit I mean the permit hasn't been drafted yet just to to get a face behind who it is and and the warmth and and just to have somebody to call you know and be part of the process as this permitting is being developed is very crucial so I want to thank you director for for reaching out and, and doing the legwork on that um, the Latino task force and all the agencies under it we're really taking a proactive approach, like we're doing outreach, where um, Calle 24 is hitting up all the street vendors now, all of them right now, even though the permit's not even close to being out, doing a lot of proactiveness, because um, our community, it's a real cultural component of street vending. Meda's doing a lot of initiative for the commercial kitchens and getting commercial kitchens so our food street vendors can be compliant and get permit in that process. So the Latino task force and the agencies that comprise it are doing a lot of preemptive work. So when that permit does become available, you know, all our street vendors are, are permitted. Another item that Director Tang also reached out, I'm sorry for bothering you so much, Director Tang. Um, <laughs> I asked her to reach out to the CDFTA at the state level, you know, regarding seller's permit. In our community, getting seller's permit, you know, the, the website is not intuitive, and filing those quarterly taxes, our community gets in a lot of trouble. So again, we want to develop a component where we do workshops with the CDFTA every quarter, and you know, you know, maybe go to Med or Kai and, you know, it's time to follow these quarterly taxes. Let's do it. Because that is going to be a component for the street vendors is they have to get a seller's permit and they're going to have to file taxes. So just I, I want to thank Director Kerry and, and the office, too. Like, you guys have been really essential for us to be proactive in the community. So thank you. You know, um, I have the luxury of filing sales taxes in multiple states. Uh, it's an incredible privilege, let me tell you. Um, 
And uh, I can tell you from a top level perspective, um, filing in 10 different states, uh, that California is not the worst. Uh, you, you might be surprised. Uh, wow. <laughs> but uh, for instance, Tennessee, they have five different taxes. Uh, two of them have to be filed by paper. Uh, so, and, and you know, you're literally like writing the numbers down by hand. Um, uh, Chicago, the form is equivalent to an IRS form. I mean, it's like 50 questions and, you know, all, it, it changes all the time and, uh, you know, it's, it's really intimidating. Um, on the other hand, New Jersey is like, how much do you owe? And you put in a number and they're like, great, done. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, there, there is a, a range. Um, I've always wondered uh, what the purpose of collecting all the, these other questions when, when you fill, fill out the quarterly in particular for CDFTA, and especially if you're in two cities, right, because it can be different tax rates. Um, so I could imagine a biz, business having something in LA and something in, in, in the Mission or in San Francisco. Um, the, the quarterly in particular is, is pretty confusing, um, and I, I'm, I still got to double check, you know, every time I do it. But it, it could be a lot easier, and I don't understand why they're collecting all this other info. It's like the business knows how much money they made. Um, have them put that in a number, say how much they owe, and take it away. I mean, if the business is making something up, you're not going to catch them in like some, you know, like accounting discrepancy on the sales tax return. Because if they're lying, they'll lie on all the other stuff too, right? Like so, like what's even the point? Like I think New Jersey has the right approach just tell us what you owe and we're done tell us what we get and, and i'm that? glad that you say that because your your company's probably more sophisticated <laughs> imagine if you're non-english speaking right and, and or yeah. you're non oh, yeah. you know electronic because now this in the cdft you have to do it online yeah right um we even experienced cpas in the community they don't know how to do this stuff mm -hmm. properly right and and the That's businesses real. They entrust CPAs, and they think the CPAs are doing their work. They're doing their due diligence by hiring a professional, and, and right. it's not happening. One thing I do want to advocate, and, and maybe just to, for our future relationship with the CDFTA, through my nonprofit, I do a lot of um, recovery work, right, like auditing, helping businesses get back on track with the CDFTA. I want to say every single agent I've experienced at the CDFTA, they're pretty cool. Like, yes. Right? Like, I agree. So I want to like give them a shout out. I know you're watching CDFTA. You know, <laughs> small business loves you. Even when they come look at our tax stamps and stuff. Especially Monica, who I spoke with today. Uh, oh, see? Yeah. There you go. So yeah. CDFTA, we yeah. love you. Yes. Remember that, so Monica. Yeah. Uh, you you also mentioned DPW, and I think um, we would be remiss and not to mention that the former Small Business Commission president, Stephen Adams, is now on the Street Cleaning Commission. What is it called? Oh, the, the Sanitation, sanitation. Commission? He's been nominated for the Sanitation. I think it's Street, street and sanitation. sanitation. Yeah. Street and Sanitation. He will be fantastic. He will be great. So I'm really excited about that. I hope that nomination gets it's, approved. It seems like our commission's spreading to other commissions. We got him at SFMTA. <laughs> Uh, that is by design. <laughs> this is this is the breeding ground. <laughs> um, all right. 
Uh, is there uh, any other, were you about to tap? Yeah, okay, you don't have to tap. Thank you. Um, couple things right off the bat. Um, if you, for the audience watching, if you have an, a federal SBA economic injury disaster loan and you're looking to get an increase on it, you should request that now because those funds um, in that federal program will be lapsing very soon. So I just wanted to make a PSA about that. You should do it ASAP <laughs> if that's what you're interested in. Um, and that is related to federal COVID financial aid. Um, second thing I wanted to say is, this is a kind of a long-term conversation, but um, how do we make Restaurant Week and Small Business Week more accessible to more businesses? Um, it's, it's the holy month of Ramadan right now. Um, Restaurant Week launched the first week of Ramadan. I think that's um, just something to note that there's a lot of businesses that probably would have loved to participate or maybe even had an iftar, like an after-hour event for, um, for Restaurant Week. And, you know, that kind of begs how do we connect ethnic merchant associations or, or um, communities with, with restaurants that aren't necessarily plugged into our restaurant um, business associations. Um, and then last thing that I wanted to flag, and I do need to, we need to inquire about this, but I was told from a couple bars in North Beach that the FBI and the ABC, the alcohol beverage control, we're coordinating some sting operations there recently. Um, it's not uncommon for regulatory agencies like ABC to collaborate with other um, government bodies, but um, every time they do, we've seen some consequences that often fall on um, the most vulnerable businesses. So wanted to first corroborate if that's activity that we know is happening in our merchant corridors and yeah, how do we um, protect businesses pro pre proactively from um, any large-scale kind of sting operations that they might be subject to? Commissioner Sasunis, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you about right now, but historically, you know, I used to operate in North Beach. Like, the feds were always out there. They plant mics in the, like, outside of the bars, and, like, they've done it historically there. I know. So uh -huh. I wouldn't put it past them now. Yeah, I mean, and I will say that in, in my community, in, in the Arab and Muslim and South Asian communities, when ABC is coordinated with other government bodies, I mean, I've seen an alcohol, like an expired food can or, an, you know, an inventory violation turn into material support for terrorism charge because people are sending money to their home country. So um, that can escalate really fast. <laughs> Um, I mean, not great, but <laughs> uh, is uh, anybody else want to got anything to say? Okay. Is there any public comment? There is not. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item 10, adjournment. 
SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco, and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Oh, I don't have to actually do that. You can say meeting adjourned. I do? You do. Oh, meeting adjourned. It's, it makes it so official. <laughs> Sorry. I won't leave until you...